Please let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue making our way through the epistle to the Ephesians. Why y'all laughing? Is there a joke that I don't know about? <laughs> Amen. Uh, man, if that's all it takes, I can, I can tell you some jokes. <laughs> Amen. No, we're good. Thanks, Karen. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, while you're turning there, I would like to thank Eric McCarty for filling in last week on short notice. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. You did a wonderful job. Um, I actually listened to the sermons now that we're posting them. and uh, <laughs> Good message. Uh, we are in the latter verses here of chapter 4, and beginning in verse 22, we've been considering the contrast between uh, the old man and the new man, and we're to put off the old man and put on the new man. Before we get to our text verse tonight, the, the old man is corrupt according to deceitful lust. The new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. And as Paul begins to contrast the difference, we saw first of all that we're to put away lying and in that place speak truth. That's a good practice. We're not to have sinful anger we saw and we shouldn't allow the sun to go down upon our wrath. Because when we do, we give place to the devil. We give him territory in our life. Then last time in verse 28, we see that we're not to steal, but we are to labor. And we're to labor in that which is good that we might give to those in need. For tonight, let's read verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And we see here the need to be careful with what we say and how we say it. There is corrupt communication. There's edifying communication. It's amazing how much the Bible warns us about the words that we speak. It's almost as if God knew we were going to have a problem with that. Corrupt communication means rotten communication. It's worthless. It's corrupt. While edifying communication builds up. And so perhaps we could say it this way then as we think about the contrast between the old man and the new man. Corrupt communication tears down. And edifying communication builds up. I don't think the context of corrupt communication is talking about those who are cussers. So if you're one who thinks that cuss words enhance your ability to tell a story, you can breathe a sigh of relief because that won't be the focus tonight. I believe that falls under Colossians 3.8. Let no filthy communication Proceed out of your mouth. But before moving on, <laughs> Oliver B. Green used to say, any old cuss can cuss. And if you're a cusser, you're riding the caboose to hell. But that's not the message. When I was a kid, we would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Obviously, the, the principle would be that we shouldn't allow other 
others' words to affect us. But that might work well on the playground as a kid, but we don't stay young and we don't live our life on the playground. And, and the truth is, even kids can be corrupt in their communication. When my younger sister, who I still love dearly, was maybe first grade, um, well, before that, she was diagnosed with a kidney syndrome of some sort, some disease. And the docs put her on uh, prednisone, which if you know anything about that, it typically makes you swell real bad, uh, gain weight, become very bloated. And man, the kids were just merciless. And because those words hurt her, it hurt me. And sometimes I would take matters in my own hands and I'm not saying that's right, but it's just amazing how words can hurt. I may have wanted to strangle her at the house, but when we stepped outside of the house, we were all Brooks's. Amen. You mess with one Brooks, you mess with them all. There are men who say words will never hurt them. But you let something be said about their precious little girl, and all of a sudden words hurt them. Amen. Words do hurt. Words can hurt. If you don't believe me, just look at the divorce rate. Much of that is a result of what started out as hurtful words. Look at the arguments which take place. Well, you said. Just look at all the fights that take place. And worst of all, look at the teen suicide rate that continues to rise in our country. One of the most heartbreaking things I remember reading was, and it wasn't an isolated occurrence, but one sticks out where a girl who I think was 14 years of age was being... Uh, what they call cyberbullied, where somebody on a computer screen says a bunch of things and very hurtful words, and it ended up being the a different teen that she knew. It ended up being that other girl's mother who was typing the hurtful words, masquerading herself as her daughter. And it was so hurtful because adults know how to cut much deeper that she took her own life. Because words hurt. Are you with me? How many spouses today live in emotional and mental abusive homes because of hurtful words? And some of you may think that's largely husbands that do that. But I want to tell you, in my experience, it's often the wife Men tend to be more physically abusive. Women tend to have an acid tongue. I've dealt with husbands who have just had enough of the constant corrupt communication that pours out of their wives' mouths. And I think, it can't be that bad. Then I find out it is that bad. I've actually said to a wife, 
if that's how you're speaking to him in front of me, I would hate to hear how you speak to him in private. Look, it's Wednesday night, just say amen. If it was Sunday morning, I'd give you a pass. You're supposed to be the innocent bunch. I've heard phone messages that husbands have played me, and I cannot believe the corrupt communication that's just being spewed. And I think, good night. You got to live with this all the time? That's why the Bible says it's better to dwell in the wilderness. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a contentious and brawling woman. It's a continual dropping, the Bible says. Wives, you're instructed by God to respect your husband. I don't know if ladies understand the amount of power they have to control the tone in the home. Some equate it to this, and I'm not saying this is necessarily right, that you kind of are like the Holy Spirit in the home. You set that kind of atmosphere. You have that ability to do that. Often when husbands are just constantly berated, they become withdrawn. And they begin to marry themselves to their jobs. They began to immerse themselves in video games. They began to do nothing but their hobbies, all because they don't want to have communication. I might as well get all in and say this while I'm at it. It's typically a woman, a wife, who will go to other women and corrupt communicate about their husband in front of them. Now, I didn't go looking for this subject, but you can ask my wife. For the last 20 years, I've been a marriage problem magnet. Um, When I was active duty for 21 years, it seemed like everybody that had a marriage issue found me. Now, I expect that in the ministry, amen. Um, Secularly, I I guess we all just need to be prepared. Because ministry is everywhere, amen. But I'm being honest when I tell you, I almost never heard husbands get together and badmouth their wives. In fact, just to be completely honest with you, I never, I can't remember one time, I'm just trying to be polite by saying almost never. And, and, and I'm talking about men who have come to me, they, they went to Iraq, their wife was messing around back home, wrote a John Deere letter, And they still would say, man, just the best things about her. How much they loved her and how much they wanted to stay together. Or that he wanted to stay together. But don't worry, ladies. Men, we're not off the hook. I think men are different because we know how to deliver the knockout blow. Because women are very emotional. And I know exactly what button to push and how to push it. 
And I can turn that fountain off like that, amen? My wife's very good. She does not have an acid tongue. Um, but men, we know exactly what to say, how to say it. And it just is corrupt communication. We know how to say those very hurtful words to a woman that affects them emotionally. <clears throat> the point I'm making is words can hurt. Admittedly, some hurt more than others. For me personally, it typically takes a lot of words uh, before I get affected. Um, I've had, <laughs> as I was studying for this, I got to thinking, I've had other preachers come in here, not invited or anything, they're just passing through, sitting in a service, come up to me afterwards and tell me everything that I'm doing wrong. <laughs> and I just say, brother, take a number. It just doesn't bother me is what I'm trying to say. But certain things do. Um, and so I would, I would say this. I don't think any of us really appreciate when corrupt communication is directed at us. I, mean, I don't think we really want to be bothered with that. When, when we think about this corporately in a church setting, and that's really the emphasis of Ephesians is, is the doctrine of, of, on the church Corrupt communications in a church is very damaging. All it takes is one or two people over here to say something uh, wrong about this person over there. And the next thing you know, there's a schism. There's division in the church. Let one person get mad at the sermon and, and tear the preacher apart. And now there's division. It, it, it's like a fire gets ignited. Turn over to James 3. That's exactly what he warned of. Keep your place in Ephesians 4. James chapter 3. I want to read verses 2 through 12. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. This little member can cause a world of iniquity. A little fire can quickly grow into a big fire. And we can't tame another person's tongue. But if we can learn to control our tongue then we can learn to control our entire body. 
You may recall recently in our Sunday night series how it only took 10 men to come back from spying out the land to bring back a bad report to convince an entire nation that the best course of action was to stone Caleb and Joshua and go back to Egypt. Corrupt communications, rotten communication, worthless communication. It tears down and it destroys. It destroys relationships and it destroys churches. It's a description of the old man. I've heard pastors as, as they give testimony of their past and, and they'll say things like this, I didn't know it was being said, but what started the split in our church was somebody began to talk. On the other hand, when we put on the new man, our communication, it turns from being worthless to being beneficial. It goes from tearing down to building up. And this is what God has called us to do. This kind of communication is called good in our text, and that word means beneficial. When's the last time you built somebody up? If you thought earlier it was uncomfortable, we're going to get uncomfortable again, so don't get too comfortable. You may not necessarily be tearing down, but are you building others up? Are you encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ to press on? Are you telling the lost around you, you keep seeking after God. If you seek Him, you'll find Him. What many do when someone sins yet again, maybe through some kind of substance abuse or through a rebellion to authority or some other recurring problem, we good Christians like to come up and say, well, I knew it. I knew you were going to mess it up again. Well, that really edifies. It also shows that we really weren't praying for them. Well, I knew it. Okay. But is that the time to show off your piety? Sometimes we like to diagnose the situation and give them the remedy. But it comes out through some form of corrupt communication. I can't verify this because it's only hearsay. It'll make a good illustration nonetheless. Word on the street is somebody went to Robin Dustman and she was dying with cancer and decided to say something like this, if you had the right kind of faith, God would heal you. That's a stupid thing to say. First of all, you don't know that. Second of all, you don't know the mind of God in all things. And third of all, sometimes you just need to keep your big mouth shut. But back to the sinful situations. Well, if you would have done this, that, and the other, then you wouldn't be in this position. Well, if you wouldn't have made all, all those stupid decisions like I told you. 
Don't you think they know they did wrong? I'm talking about adults here. You know what would be beneficial? What might edify and build up? Is if we just come alongside someone and say something like, hey, I'll be here to help you. Or, you know what, we can get through this thing because I know God can deliver you. I guess what I'm saying is, God has not called us to kick people when they're down. Some teenage girl and guy make a dumb decision and she ends up pregnant. And sometimes people say dumb things. Well, what did you think would happen? How about we acknowledge the sin, but then we try to edify them to do the right thing? Hey, we're going to get through this. I know I'm not fitting the fundamental mold. No one here, but once I was called to the bedside of a pregnant wife who conceived a child through immoral means. And I remember how heartbroken she was and just beside herself. And I could have railed on her for being immoral and making the, the, the wrong decision. What were you thinking? But instead I just looked at her and I just said, what's done is done. We can't focus on the past. Confess your sin, get it under the blood of Jesus, and let's move on from this, and I'll be here to help you. And I'm glad to say that last I checked, they're still in church. I can't remember who was talking to me just before service. might have been Brother Long. How many people that are not in church today because some not-head fundamentalists said something to them about how they showed up in church. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want you to understand what I'm saying tonight. I'm not suggesting that we celebrate sin. I hope you know that. Uh, I'm not suggesting we act like the sin isn't there. But there is a time and a place. Most of the time, we do more tearing down than we do building up. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about uh, I'm not telling any parents in here you're not to be firm with your child. You know your child better than anybody else. And you know when you need to be firm with them. I'm talking about those of us who are on the outside looking in. Is this making sense? Because I really need you to understand my heart on this tonight. And by the way, it isn't corrupt communication or a lack of edifying when a parent has to look at a child and say, you're not bringing that into my home. I'll stand by that. Not that you need me to. Nor is it wrong when the church has to deal with someone in sin. The Bible's clear about when those times are necessary, but understand tonight that those kind of situations aren't because somebody did something, it's because somebody won't stop doing something. Isn't that right? Usually that's last resort type stuff and it's typically the exception and not the rule because our goal here is always restoration. 
I don't know about you, but I'm glad my parents didn't give up on me when I sinned against them. My dad's too stubborn to give up on me. I'm glad as a church we can look past certain faults in others and we can try to be a help. And I'm more, I'm more than glad that God didn't give up on me. But that He chose instead to speak a word of encouragement to my heart. And instead of casting me off in anger, He did everything He could to edify me up. Don't others deserve that chance? Jesus looked at the woman taken in adultery and said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. But what if she sinned again? Well, we'll deal with that when that happens. When a, when a village of the Samaritans did not receive Jesus as he was going to come through, James and John look at our Lord and say, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven and consume them as Elijah did? But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. <laughs> We're not called to destroy lives. But we're called to point people to a Christ who can help them and save them. And when people come in here off the street, don't you cast stones at them. Be glad that they're here under the preaching of God's Word. You welcome in the sinners. Who is this man that eats with publicans and sinners? That's my Lord. Let's just be gracious. Aren't you glad God extended grace to you? Oftentimes, people need grace and not condemnation. They need mercy and not harsh truth. We can give grace and law at the same time. We can exercise mercy and truth at the same time. But we can do it graciously. And... and and this verse here, verse 29, notice there it says that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Some like to be letter of the law Christians and totally miss being spirit of the law Christians. And I'm all for black and white. You can ask my wife. All I ask for is complete perfection. Total perfection. Okay, thank so who's the one asking for perfection now? Oh. Um, where am I at? So to minister grace means that we extend grace. Grace here means a divine influence upon the heart. It's a positive impact upon another. And I believe in this context, and this is one of the ways that it's interpreted, I, I believe it's saying this, um, acceptance. Acceptance. Not an acceptance of sin, but an, accept, an acceptance where we can at least minister some grace and try to edify. I like what one preacher said. He said acceptance is the optimal environment for growth. How are we going to see people grow if we don't accept them where they're at?
How will they grow if we don't get a chance to extend some grace? There are churches I know of that won't allow someone in the church if they don't look a certain way. I don't mean members. Well, you can't come in here dressed like that. Sorry, you can't serve God because you have a tattoo. Sorry, you have too many piercings and you'll be a distraction here. Well, congratulations, you just lost all chance of influencing them for Christ. Now, you can like it or lump it, but this is where I'm at. Look, I know God doesn't want us to get tattoos. I know excessive piercings isn't of God. And I know God wants us to dress in a modest way. But do you know how many in here at one time had all kind of piercings? Do you know how many in here have tattoos from their past? Do you know how many in here wants dressed the wrong way? Do you know how many in here that are like that and yet they have a servant's heart? Some of our ministries would dry up if we just turned our back on somebody. Now, I believe you have to live a certain way in order to serve here. Again, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. You know my policy. If you're going to minister before us, then there is a dress standard. I'm not going to allow someone to minister before us not dressed appropriately, not covering up the sins of their past the best they can. But I can't expect the lost sinner to come in here and understand that. And I can't even expect the new believer to understand that yet. Come on now. I I remember a preacher telling a story where I believe it was down in Florida. And and these, these boys showed up to the church skateboarding. And there was a visiting evangelist there, and he went out to the parking lot, and the pastor thought, well, he's going out there to give them the gospel. And when the preacher got to them, he began to rail on them and chew them out for having the audacity to disrespect the house of God and to skateboard uh, at their parking lot and told them that they needed to dress the right way before they came back. And don't you come back until you get it right. And guess what? They never came back. There went an opportunity. You see, we look at the outward appearance and we make a judgment on the condition of the heart instead of just simply ministering grace to the hearers. When the truth is, ain't none of us arrived yet. And just to be honest with you, the sins that take place in secret amongst the polished Sunday morning Christians is more wicked than what some of those are doing. I've been accused by other pastors of caring more about quantity than quality. Because I supposedly harbor rebels. This has been said to me. Not hearsay. Well, your church is growing because you'll take anybody. Now, I don't care that much about numbers, to be honest with you. I mean, numbers is a good thing. Anything that's growing is increasing, or anything that's alive is growing. And uh, as I said one time jokingly, there's a whole book called Numbers. Um, But yes, 
I'll take anybody who's repentant and desirous to grow and who isn't coming in here seeking to sow discord among the brethren or, or somebody who's in here not trying to uh, champion someone into their sin. I, I thought that's what the Lord Jesus was doing. And, and so uh, I understand this. You're not going to have a chance to get them to the quality stage if you don't take them where they're at. It's called ministering grace to the hearers. It's called trying to edify with good communication and not tear down with corrupt communication. And I'm so glad tonight that God can forgive adulterers, thieves, those who are covetous, liars, murderers. And I know this is hard for some in our camp to believe, but God can even forgive those who don't line up with our outward apparent standards. Imagine a God with that kind of power. Oops, I got sarcastic. Which usually means it's time to quit. I, I really do hope you know my heart tonight. Because I've said this, and I, I'll keep saying it, I believe with all my heart that a church ought to be a hospital. For the hurting, for the broken, for the lost, for the seeking. Listen, you know, you know how I do things. We're not going to let sexual predators stay around here. More importantly, I hope you understand God's heart in this verse. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In closing, if you are an acid tongue who tears down, then you're putting on the old man. But if you edify and encourage and build up, then you've put on the new man. Let's do what we can to help as many as we can while we can. Let's pray. God, thank you for this good spirit tonight as this issue was addressed. We thank you for this passage in your word that teaches us it's better to minister grace unto the hearers than to uh, give corrupt communication. And Lord, I know we're not to compromise and I know we're not to uh, just wink at things. But I also know that you have a heart for the lost, and we ought to as well, and those who are backslidden to be reclaimed. And sometimes we just need to put an arm around them and say, I love you. And so God, help us. Help us to be a church that cares. And not get so hung up on things that we cast people aside. Thank you for loving me. You had every right to cast me aside and to condemn me to hell. But you ministered grace to me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, for not giving up on me. Lord, help us this week to reach others for Christ. We ask it for his great name's sake. Amen.